2: guys happy march this is the first episode that's going to drop for the podcast in march and i could not be more thrilled with the guests that i've got on the line this episode chase will not be joining us but that's okay his spot has been taken by a good friend and repeat guest of the show i have got sean curran and bruce Tag on the phone how are we doing gentlemen doing
1: great walter man. how are you
2: any better i couldn't stand it <laughs> <laughs> I am I am thrilled to be back on the phone with you guys. We tried this last night and ran into some problems and we are uh, cranking this out on a lunch break so this should be a great episode. We've already rehearsed everything the first time. We're going round two. This is going to be great, gentlemen.
0: That sounds like a plan, Walter. Glad to be back on, man. Appreciate you taking the time to to get with us and talk about some of the things that we've got going on out there.
2: Absolutely. So let's do this. Uh, for the for the guests who don't know uh, who you two are, they should know who Sean Clarkson is. T- or, I'm sorry. They should know who Sean Curran is. That's the problem when you have uh, too many friends uh, that start with Sean and end with the letter C in their last name. <laughs> what do you guys, uh Why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell the listeners who you are? Go ahead, Bruce.
3: All right. Hey Walter, thanks again for having us. Yeah, my name is Bruce Tagg, and I'm the Vice President of Government Affairs here at the Sportsman's Alliance. Um, I have over 20 years of experience in local, state, and federal government uh campaigns, nonprofit associations, and uh we manage and execute campaign strategies for the alliance all over the all over the country. And I'm originally from rural upstate New York, and as you can imagine, I cringe every time a piece of legislation comes out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been away for a while and the state's kind of gone in a whole different
0: direction. So, and, and we'll get into some of that later. I'm sure. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Sean Curran, not to be confused with Sean Clarkson. He's a, he's definitely a gentleman and a scholar, uh, unlike myself. <clears throat> so, um, vice president of membership and corporate partnerships for the sportsman's Alliance. And, uh, lifelong outdoorsman sportsman overall outdoor generalist if it's in season i want to be out there getting after it whether it's hunting fishing trapping uh, i just want to be out there doing all this
2: stuff that we uh that we love to do awesome so today and actually bruce i believe you're a major whitetail enthusiast right yep okay cool but, but i
3: like to hunt fish trap i'm the same as sean
2: <laughs> get out there and do it you're a generalist
3: you bet you doesn't matter to me <laughs>
2: i'm i'm struggling right now because there is just about nothing to do besides freshwater fish and that is uh while i'm blessed with a bunch of freshwater fishing in in this area and some really good freshwater fishing it is the least it is on the totem pole of things to do bass fishing is uh, pretty low for me so this is kind of my, my crunch point for the year
3: well you can also uh you know kind of do what we're doing today you guys got two bad bills down there with black bear you can reach out to your elected officials and tell them it's a terrible, terrible idea.
2: <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to that, I'm sure I'd like to, uh, towards the tail end of this episode. Um, but let's start sure. off with some good news. The three of us t- uh, discussed this before. What we're going to do today is we're going to start off with some good news. The first time that we recorded with the Sportsman's Alliance was uh, a very heavy um Uh, emotionally taxing episode, and that's just the nature of where we are right now. So I'd like to start this episode off by celebrating a win, celebrating uh, a victory in our arena. Gentlemen, we've had a couple big bills pass, and inside those bills there's been some really important aspects for outdoorsmen. Why don't y'all kind of touch on the highlights uh, of the recent bills that have passed? Sure.
3: Uh, Why don't we start at the national level and kind of work our way down? might be easier and easier to follow so um right before christmas we actually had a had a huge win with the modern fish act was passed um you know the modern fish act um they had there's a lot of challenges uh with that piece of legislation basically what it did was it lumped in commercial fishing and folks like us and so when that happened it negatively affected the recreational permits and the regulations and it created a uh, parity between the commercial and recreational angler, anglers in federal fisheries management system, and part of the Modern Fish Act, what they did was they really kind of separated the recreational anglers uh, versus the versus the commercial, and that is a huge, huge win for all of our folks who you know who just want to get out on the water. Like you said, you're kind of in a slump right now, just kind of hanging out, nothing really to do, but you want to get out on the water. Well, there's a lot more opportunities now after the Modern Fish Act was passed. Um, I'm trying to think here, right off the top of my head, there's an estimated, uh, I think it's 11 million saltwater anglers in the in the states, and um, recreational fishing contributed to nearly 440 thousand American jobs, wow, 63 billion in sales and $23 billion in income and $36 billion in value-added contributions made to the gross domestic product. So uh, that we were very happy to see that. And, of course, Sportsman's Alliance, we're at the forefront of that, uh, like all the other fights that we get into. Uh, another <clears throat> interesting piece of legislation and much needed, and, uh, again, we fought with all of our allies across the country, was the LWCF. Which is Land Water Conservation Fund. The technical name of the bill is the Natural Resources Management Act of 2019, also known as Senate Bill 47 or the Public Lands Package. So a lot of your social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all that probably referred to it as the Public Lands Package. Um, it's been sent to the uh, President's desk, and and you know we're real or it was passed, I'm sorry, it was, it was already sent Was sent in, I think, uh, beginning of February. Um, but this is huge. Uh, the reason this is huge is it deals with uh, a lot of provisions that are important to hunters and anglers and trappers and recreational shooters. Uh, one of the key aspects of the legislation was open until closed. Open until closed is something that Sportsman's Alliance has been fighting for for a long, long time, along with all of our other allies um, the reason that's so important is open until closed requires that all lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service are open for hunting, fishing, and recreational shooting unless specifically co- closed for cause. Uh, in the past, you know, animal rights groups uh, tried to get stuff tied up in lawsuits, this, that, and, that, and they and they could just put a sign out that says closed. Well, now uh, they have to be open until close, and, and in order to have it closed, there's some regulations that need to be followed, so it has to be listed publicly, there has to be a public comment period and all that, so that is huge because, as both of you know, access right. access to, to hunting land and and, and fishing is, is the biggest challenge we have as sportsmen and women. Um, <clears throat> there's also a couple other important issues in that package. It amended the Federal Aid and Wildlife Restoration Act in 1937. Most of our folks know that as PR or Pittman-Robertson Act, and that uh, what it does, they kind of tweaked it a little bit and made it a little bit better. And now certain funds can be used for shooting sports facilities where in the past that that, that was not, they didn't have the ability to do that under the law. So that was really exciting, particularly for our, our shooting sports <clears throat> brothers and sisters out there. Uh, you know, the, there's a chance now to get new ranges built and upgrades to, to older ones. It also included the wild act and that strengthens strengthens wildlife conservation and reauthorizes sportsman's wildlife conservation programs and assist in the management of invasive species and promote anti-poaching, which we all are are in favor of. It also allows for the permitting or leasing of public land for shooting and target ranges. And that's where the dollars up top, I was talking about with the PR dollars comes in, uh, makes that legal now. And it also authorizes the transportation of archery equipment through the National Park Service lands. So if you're headed to BLM land somewhere, with your bow and you you had to go through or traverse one of the national parks before this was uh, reauthorized and passed, uh, you were not allowed to do that. So some good things coming out of D.C. Typically, nothing really good comes out of there. But uh, <laughs> um, we, we, we got two big, big pieces of legislation that are extremely important uh, to sportsmen and women here recently uh, that that's come out of there. So we're really excited about
2: it. So let me let me kind of back up because I got a couple questions about all that. Uh, the first being that if we if we're diverting funds from PR to gun ranges, that's a good thing downrange because more gun ranges means more people getting into the shooting sports. But also the PR dollars are also tied to gun to uh, guns and ammo sales. So even though we're diverting a little bit, we're still probably going to uh, increase our downrange uh, ability to draw off of. New outdoorsmen. Am I correct in that understanding? Yeah,
3: and and typically, you know, you you might see some of these new ranges might pop up in in areas that are already allowed for hunting too. So sure. you might not. Yeah, it might. You know, you might get a piece of property that's already hunting, and they may just carve out you know a couple of acres and put ranges up. So uh, you know, I I don't see it too much as a diversion. Um,
2: so much I as see a support. It more as, yeah,
3: I, I agree with you in the sense I see it more of a tool as as to recruit and retain new hunters and, and, you know, um, I, I, I'm certainly okay with it. I have no issues with it.
2: Well, I, I can speak to this area. I think, uh, probably within a, Oh, conservatively 50 mile radius of here in Tallahassee, Florida, there's one public range, um, and it is uh, not conveniently centered for anybody. So the idea that there could be more of those on some of the national forests or public lands that are in this area, that's a—that's an encouraging thing because, as you can imagine, on a Saturday or Sunday, those areas fill up pretty quickly, you know, and, and it's not exactly fun to drive 45 minutes and then sit there and wait for someone to get sighting on a rifle, which, you know, <laughs> depending on their talent, it could take a while.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking
2: about myself here. I take a lot of time sighting on a rifle. It's not my uh, strong suit, but... Yeah.
0: I resemble that remark. <laughs>
2: I need a t-shirt that says that, Sean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other side of that too, that's a positive is that, um, with hunting shooting, I'm, um, I'm sorry, with, with, with guns and ammo being so tied into, you know, PR dollars and those dollars going to, um, you know, enhance our public lands. It just makes sense that we're putting in more shooting access to welcome more, more, more shooting to take place, you know, on these lands. Um, That's critical for for long-term vision to keep people involved in that and and keep people, um, you know, getting some satisfaction out of the fact that, hey, I might not hunt, but I'm going out to the range and I'm, you know, I'm practicing, you know, for three gun competitions or what have you. And I'm glad to go ahead and go into whatever retailer it is and, you know, buy my ammo and know that I'm paying an excise tax, but it's going back to, you know, do enhancements to this range that I can go at and shoot at. So uh, it's good to tie those things back together and invest in those types of uh, facilities.
3: And and on that note too,
0: um,
3: this, this is great opportunity to kind of keep the PR funds, you know, where they're at from, from declining, you know, a lot of folks call it the Obama bump. So uh, everyone was pretty nervous about legislation coming out of DC and the president signing it when he was, president you know they're going to take away our guns you are going to limit ammo so people were were buying and so that federal excise tax that that we pay on there that goes for the pr funds uh, you saw a huge increase Uh, well now you have an administration um that folks feel is 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 friendly to to our cause and so your pr dollar numbers are going down uh, because people aren't buying the guns and they're not buying the ammo so i see this again as another tool to even help, maybe steady that line out. Where, like, like Sean said, you know, I don't hunt. You know, all of us who hunt, we always go. We buy our, new, we buy a new scope, right? We buy a new gun. Um, but if you don't hunt, there's, you know, there's not necessarily you're not going to go do that. But if you just if if you're just a target shooter, you know, and now you have more access. That's more excise tax. So I see it as a win-win, uh, a couple couple different ways.
2: Well, I think also if, if I'm, you know, now that I'm thinking about, you know, uh, more gun ranges, I think more people being tied to those gun ranges because people are going to use them, you know, even though we've always been tied together, perhaps socially speaking, this helps uh, tie gun uh, enthusiasts to the public lands as well you know that just kind of increases our our cast net when it comes to a call to action or to a, a vote as to whether or not we're going to sell a block of public land if there's a gun range on there and people are using it on a day-in day-out basis hunters and fishermen and campers and hikers and trappers they all benefit from it as well having those uh, gun enthusiasts also being there at that time so then the other thing i wanted to touch on briefly and i just want to make sure i understand this is when you're talking about uh, the open and closing of, of public lands, essentially what that law has done has basically, uh, it's put the burden of, of necessity on people who want to shut down a section for hunting. Essentially what you're right. saying is, it, the default is, you're going to be able to, and the onus to uh, prove something is that uh, hunting, trapping, and fishing shouldn't happen on that block for some reason, correct? Yeah. Okay. in
3: Maybe I'd clarify a little bit more, too. So for decades, all of the anti-hunting organizations pressed lawsuits challenging hunting on public land. You know, they argued that the federal agencies and, and made it possible, you know, made them jump through laborious procedural hoops just to open up public land. Um, and so the system resulted in, you know, one small procedural mistake uh, and, and you'd have to close the land up. What this did was it helps to prevent those lawsuits by national and, and local anti-hunting groups uh, who continue to try to use the courts to stop hunting opportunities on public land. Um, and this protects hunting and increased hunting access on millions of acres again. You know, and it's, it's similar to some of the protections on the wildlife refuge lands uh, that Sportsman's Alliance championed back in 97. So, uh, yeah, it, it basically makes it a lot tougher uh, for these groups to go in um, and look for one small little mistake on a procedural side and shut it down. So, again, big win for us.
2: I'll take it. <laughs> Given all well, the angst and anxiety that's that's happened probably for the last two years now, I, that seemed both none of those seemed like small small victories in any way, shape, or form. So I'm I'm thrilled to have the momentum shift in our favor for there. And you said, and I believe all these were were majorly bipartisan bill uh, approved, correct?
3: Yeah, the L- LWCF was ninety-two
2: to eight. Wow,
3: out of the House of Reps, you know, back when they did it. So yeah, uh,
0: it, it was very bipartisan, which always helps, you know. No, I mean, getting the getting the reauthorization of LWCF is huge. Um, one of the things that I actually was reading last night, um, just in the local people that local newspaper, they had a little snippet about it. Um, since it had expired back in September we've left an estimated $347 million on the table by not having this in place. So just since September, I mean, we're talking about that huge amount of money, you know, from oil and gas, you know, royalties that our conservation community has missed out on. So it's absolutely critical that, you know, we continue pushing this through and hopefully uh, president Trump puts his signature on this so we can move forward.
2: Is there any real concern that, uh, President Trump won't put his signature to this. I mean, it seems like this would be a a pretty procedural thing to, you know, to pass at this point if it's such a bipartisan bill.
3: Yeah, no, I'm just waiting for the signing ceremony. Uh, He's indicated publicly that he'll sign it in law. So
2: So we're going to have a signing party when that happens, right?
3: That's right. Well, maybe you two are, because I'll be buried (laughs) in all this bad stuff that we're getting to next. I think.
2: Yeah. So, (laughs) well, way to bring us back down. Dadgummit. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, Into the
3: government guys always bring everyone down.
2: (laughs) So one of the reasons why we're having this podcast right now is is largely because. I was scrolling through social media, and my phone had just been blowing up from a variety of organizations. But when I opened it, I saw just just post after post of all these different. Um, I'm my uneducated self. I'm going to go ahead and call these horrible bills uh, that are being uh, proposed in a bunch of different states and. I got on the phone with Sean, and he said, yeah, I think it's time we do a podcast. You know, I told you all when we recorded with Sportsman's Alliance previously that as, you know, major issues came up, that we would uh, record updated podcasts and touch on those issues, and, and here we are. One of the reasons we've got Bruce on the phone is because he is monitoring, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 48 different state legis- uh, legislatures as they, uh, they're they in their legislative cycle, correct?
3: That is correct. Uh, we're still monitor. We, we monitor all fifty states, but in this particular case, the forty-eight numbers because they're they're having a legislative session right now, so they're introducing, um, you know, bills. Currently, right now, our shop is well over five hundred pieces of legislation in various various states, if you will, from being pre-filed to uh, potentially passing one house or the other. Um, and so, this is our silly season. Uh, we'll be doing this probably till around June. If you could imagine like a big funnel, um, January 1st, uh, we're, we're, we're dumping, you know, it's, it's, it's water out of a fire hose into the top of this funnel. And as time slowly goes on and we try to kill these or win, you know, some, we do have uh, some good news, I and mean, there are some things that we proactively fight for, and uh, I, I know we'll talk about those a little bit later, but yeah, we're over 500 pieces of legislation right now, uh, and the 99% of them are not good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let's go ahead and break into that. What, why don't you hit the highlight of perhaps the most uh, concerning or the, the bills that are at the forefront of your mind when you're thinking about this, uh, this whole sure. situation?
3: Yeah, sure. So now we'll break it. uh, You know, I could break it down, but I I think, I think we'll go with nationwide trends right now. So what we're seeing here initially in the beginning of these legislative sessions, pretty much all across the nation are banning coyote hunting contests or wildlife hunting contests. Uh, That's a problem, uh, particularly when you get into um, field trials. And so, well, Groups like Humane Society and, and these other animal rights groups, uh, they've been pushing these coyote hunting bans all across the nation for quite some time now, and and they've got a bunch of states currently where they have this language in there, and they've specifically put very broad language in there. So they talk about banning all wildlife contests, okay? Uh, they use coyote hunting contests kind of as the as the lure, if you will, but um, it. it the definition, when you look at wildlife in all of these states, it's, it's all mammals. So it's, so it's deer, it's, you know, it's, it's beaver, it's anything. So basically what they're, what they're doing is they're trying to end hunting. They they want a straight up ban on any type of hunting, fishing or trapping. And so you have to be very careful and you have to look at the language and you have to look at what that state has as their definition of wildlife. So in these states, if if something like this were to pass, you couldn't have a big buck contest, you couldn't have the heaviest coyote, you couldn't have the biggest beaver pelt. Anything where there's a prize, money attributed to, quote, a contest um, would be banned, it'd be illegal. Um, The majority of the states right now uh, that we looked at initially um, had contests you know, uh, tournament stuff, but one in particular put derby in there. And of course the hair at the back of my neck stood up because I've never heard of a deer derby or anything like that. We've only heard of a fishing derby. Right. So first thing I had to do was I had to call, call the wildlife service in that state and verify that their definition of wildlife uh, did not include fish and it did not typically again the majority of your states your wildlife will be like all your mammals and stuff like that and then they have a separate one that maybe they call it aquatic wildlife or something like that and that that's where your fish are listed so but they do that all over with a lot of bills any bills they put out there they're just they're very vague right so it covers everything they basically throw it up against the wall and seeing if anyone's smart enough or has done their homework to to start picking away to see what we got so yeah we've got these uh Wildlife bans and coyote hunts all over. Where you lead into another issue is field trials, and I, I think I touched on that briefly when I started this little uh, <laughs> this little segment, if you will. Is you know a lot of hunters, we rely on good, strong dogs, um, and at field trials, that's where you can go look at dogs, um, train your own dogs, see how your own dog is doing. Um, they would be banned under that very broad definition. They would be banned because they could win a ribbon, uh, they could win a trophy, um, they could win a cash, you know, a hundred dollars or thousand, dollars whatever it is. Um, and, and that is a huge, huge problem. It but that's that's just their that's how they operate, right? And, and, we and Bruce, those yeah, would yeah, be ahead, banned.
0: Those would be banned because they're they would be considered a contest, correct? You got it. And so that's where they're using coyotes as kind of the Trojan horse. Um,
2: to put out front yeah.
0: and go after all things that would fall underneath the broad language of what a contest is.
2: This stinks just as much as the whole leash law idea. You know, it it, it sounds great in, in, in practice, you know, to have all dogs on leashes. You know, that makes sense, right? You're walking through a neighborhood, you don't want dogs running around. But then the the flip side of that is if you want your dog to retri- retrieve a quail, you better have a really long lead. You know, it's like, mm-hmm.
1: it's just a trojan It's interesting,
3: horse. interesting that you said that. And this is why we know they're coming after field trials too, because another nationwide trend is tethering. So you nailed it on the head. So, you know, they're trying to, they say we're trying to protect dogs, this, that, and the other thing. What they don't understand is, is when a dog's out in the field, if you've got three dogs, you're out coon hunting or or whatever, and you've got 15 foot tethers on them, that's a danger to the dog. You cannot, you cannot be, out there with the two, three, four, 10 dogs with 15 foot tethers. They'll wrap you up. They'll wrap each other up. They can strangle themselves. And, but again, when you you look at these animal rights groups, none of that matters to them. They've got blinders on, right? They just, they just want everything banned. They want it done. So every time we get legislation, I mean, we really have to dig in to see what they're really aiming at. And, you know, again, from, east coast to west coast in between you've got them working on these uh these tethering tethering laws um another kind of nationwide trend and this is the one that probably everyone is most familiar with and that's trapping and so humane society and other extremist animal rights groups um this is trapping the, the part of our heritage that um i i, I would say is is the easiest target when you look at what Pete and the rest of these do, right? So you get an old grizzled man out there, right? He's got the beard. He's, he's wearing, you know, some leather that some wolves or something that he trapped. And, and they throw that picture up there of this old, you know, man, uh, who looks like he's just, you know, devil incarnate. And then they throw pictures of a coyote or something in a trap and howling or, you know, trying to get out of the trap. And, and then they fundraise on it. and, then they go to legislators and they show them these videos and their their sleek marketing campaigns. And they say, this is just terrible. Uh, we need to get rid of this. We, we've got to stop it. And so you get these legislators and they, you know, they do a quick assessment in their head. and They say, oh, this would be a great, great press for me. And, you know, the animal rights crowd will love me. And I've got an election coming up. And so they go out there and they, you know, and they do. this. So this is one of the fringe areas that's easy, easy for the opposition to start chipping away. Here's what the problem is, and Sean and I talk about this all the time, is they're, they're slowly chipping away around the edges. Uh, if today it's trapping, tomorrow it's fishing, right? And that's the whole goal. And so we have to, as sportsmen and women, we, everyone has to come together and fight these. You know, I, I think uh, a good example would be um, a, a, a bow hunter in, in upstate New York, right? His passion is that, right? He's all about that, and he hears about a trapping bill down in New Mexico, which we'll get into. We, I need you to get a shout out to all the New Mexico folks. We got two bills there moving real quick, and he says to himself, "Well, yeah, know, yeah, that that's not right. Uh, I'm, you know, that's just terrible. But what do I really care about trapping? You know, I I'm a bow hunter. Well, again, first it's trapping. Tomorrow it could be trying to make it illegal to." go for whitetail in upstate New York with a bow. And and
0: so we've got mm-hmm. to stay together. We have yep. to. Well, these things are cyclical as well too. And it was, it was in the early nineties that bow hunting was actually in the crosshairs of a lot of the anti-hunting organizations. Uh, they were, they were specifically targeting bow hunting and they were using this. It's the same tactics. You know, they paint uh, a completely different picture than, than what it is, than, um, than what it represents. Um, but they weren't able to chip away at bow hunting. So then they move on to the next thing. Well, if they're able to chip away at these things and if they're able to take away trapping, well, then all of a sudden the, the trappers are gone. And so they're not going to come up and step up for the bow hunters. And then, then they go on to bow hunting. And then they're talking about how cruel and inhumane it is to actually bow hunt animals. So that's why we've all got to just be paying attention and standing there with each other and, uh, and be diligent about what's going on out there.
2: Well, I think also on top of that, I think we need to also recognize that that is a great point in and of itself, but I think there's also an immediate effect that happens here as well, and I think it's something that people, myself included – uh, up until recently don't think about, and that is, you know, let's say, let's take deer hunters and duck hunters, those two specifically. Deer hunters and duck hunters are, are tied to trapping. In areas where your ungulates are threatened, either the habitat isn't great, or there's famine because of a hard winter, or let's say coyotes are in an area where they have, have historically not been. When, you're, when your fawns are dropping, being able to go in there and target prey animals like coyotes and hammer them back right as your fawns are dropping. That's an incredibly important tool to you, the deer hunter. You might not be the trapper, but that's incredibly integral to to you being able to hunt the way you did last year, this year, or better in, in years mm-hmm. to come. Uh, duck hunters are the same thing in areas where there is severe drought. So your, bedding, your, your nesting habitat is severely limited in some years like that. One of the main ways to protect the recruitment of the next generation is they go in there and they, and they trap raccoons. They trap rodents. They go in there and they target those during that time. So I guess you aren't a trapper, but you're a duck hunter and you're deer hunter and you're dependent on all these other sources. And I think that if you, if, if people would start to look at it as I depend on X, they're a part of my group. In addition to when they're done with him, they're coming after me. Maybe people would look at this a little differently.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. And Hey, uh... While we're on here let, let, let's do the shout out to the New Mexico folks because this deal because this deals with the coyote hunting contest and trapping so New Mexico right now has two pieces of legislation one is House bill 355 okay this bill is is very 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 bad and I'll tell you why they are looking to ban trapping on all public land they, they, they're going they want to ban trapping on all public land. So all the New Mexico listeners, you've got to reach out to your representative and your senator and tell them to vote no on HB 355. Yeah, cuz you're you're talking about what 9 million acres of of national forest. And... It's it's more yeah, it's it's uh it's huge. It's uh let
0: me just... well, then there's 13 of BLM out there plus all yeah. the other things. Yeah. So I mean you I mean just a massive amount of land. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, they're targeting on public land, but they're effectively targeting on most of the state. Well, yeah. Well, not
3: only that, because a lot of times BLM defers to your state on the management. Yep. So, yep. Um, but you know, then, so now you've got, not only that, you've got this Senate bill 76 and Senate bill 76 is just as bad. This is, this is a ban on coyote hunting contests. But I want to give you some some, just I want to give you some quick statistics uh, down in in New Mexico uh, and around the country. So in 2010, a study for New Mexico that the USDA did said the cattle and sheep industry in New Mexico generated more than one billion dollars a year. Okay, and it accounted for more than 32 percent of the cash receipts for all agricultural commodities combined in the state in 2010. The National Agricultural Statistics Service reported that predators throughout New Mexico killed 9,900 head of cattle at a $5.3 million loss. And in 2009, 8,200 sheep and lamb were lost due to predation, and that loss was valued at $901,000. The research also suggested that these losses were two or three times higher without any sort of livestock protection programs. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. And you would think that these elected officials down in New Mexico would do some research before they just jump ahead and do stuff like this. So this is a 2015 USDA report dealing strictly with nationwide cattle losses. Okay, so the the USDA did a nationwide study of cattle losses. Coyotes accounted for the highest percentage of cattle deaths due to predators at 40.5% and accounted for the highest percentage of all calf deaths due to predators, at 53.1%. In New Mexico alone, the percentage of cattle loss due to coyotes was 60.5%, and calf losses due to coyotes was 49.5%. Also, coyotes accounted for the highest percentage of sheep loss at 54.3%, and the highest percentage of lamb loss at 63.7%. And so you, <laughs> conflicts with coyotes in urban and suburban areas of New Mexico are increasing, and they're killing pets and other domestic animals. And, of course, they pose safety risks to people and children. So, you know, facts don't lie. I mean, th- those are huge numbers.
0: Huge numbers that are also going to affect what you're paying at the grocery store, right?
1: Yeah,
2: well, yeah, and, and an, jobs it, yeah. and jobs in your economy. I mean, you talk about the downrange effects, effects of that. I mean, that's yeah, that's huge.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. God,
2: I wonder. But it's I, not about facts; it's yeah. about emotion, right? Right. Right. Yes, yeah. absolutely.
3: Hey, let's talk about some good stuff.
2: <laughs> 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 let's. All right,
3: let, let, let let's turn turn towards some some good stuff that we're working on that we're promoting here. Uh, let's start with Sunday hunting. So,
2: oh, this is going to speak to Sean Clarkson's heart right here, buddy. This one's for yeah. you. <laughs> All right. So, so
3: there are currently only eight states left in the nation who have some sort of ban on on Sunday hunting. Right. So these are archaic, cool blue laws, you know, they prevented millions of sportsmen from going to field for for hundreds of years. Four of the eight states right now have introduced some sort of legislation uh, that gets that one one step closer to ending, ending the ban entirely. Um, one of the states that, that the Sportsman Alliance is leading the charge on with our partners at National Shooting Sports Foundation and a local grassroots group in Pennsylvania called Hush. Um, <clears throat> we have got legislation that's passed out of the Senate a couple of weeks ago and it ends the ban on sunday hunting in pennsylvania and allows the wildlife department to run it which is the way it should be Um, this this bill senate bill 147 uh like i said we were able to get it passed out you know passed out of the senate game and fisheries committee clean so what that means is there was no amendments tied to it. There was no timeframes. You know, we're only going to allow 26 Sundays as opposed to 32. This was a straight, clean bill that said we're going to remove the ban and we're going to let the Pennsylvania wildlife do their deal. So any of our PA members out there, please call your state senator and your state rep and tell them to pass this and do not water it down. Do not water
0: it down. Hey, Bruce, I'll jump in real quick, too. If And this is really for anybody in any state. If you don't know how to find out who your elected officials are, if you go to the Sportsman's Alliance website, which is sportsmensalliance.org, if you go to the Government Affairs tab on our homepage and hit Legislative Action Center... It pulls up a simple menu. You simply type in, you know, your address, and it's going to give you everybody that you need to contact to talk to about these issues that Bruce is uh, talking to us. About. Yeah. Plus, you can see you can see what Sean looks like.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: There's a
3: reason my picture's not up there.
2: Well, that, that's because let... that's that's because you're the Chuck Norris of government affairs. We got to keep your identity secret. That way, you can just you know, right. sneak up on that's people. Right. Right plus the, <laughs> plus
3: they only let me out of my cave here after June. Uh, I get to see the light of day for one or two months, then then we're right back at it. oh man. <laughs> hey, so I got so here's some more other good news. so I'm sure a lot of your folks uh listeners are are, are aware of our families of field program and the families of field program um, was started. I'm fairly new here, but when did we start this, Sean? A decade ago, somewhere around there?
0: It was in the early 2000s, around
3: 2001, 2002, somewhere in that time frame. Right. And so what the Families of Field program is, is our ultimate goal was to have all 50 states have mentored, youth mentored, or just mentored for adults hunting program. And it's kind of a buy-before-you-try uh, process, whereby, it, you know, in before if you wanted to go hunting right someone was interested say hey I've, I've never gone hunting before i want to try it how do i do it well we'll get you signed up and go take your hunter ed and and uh, we'll get you out in the field well you know hunter ed classes are not given every day of the week and sometimes there's wait lists and people kind of can lose interest well what the mentored hunt, hunt program does or, or apprentice program depending on what state you live in is allows you to hunt right away so if we're having lunch and it's deer season, you said, man, I want to go check it out. You go onto this state's website, you purchase a a apprentice hunting license and I can take you out that day. Um, The, some states have, yeah. Now to become a fully uh, licensed hunter in these states, you do have to take Hunter Ed and that's kind of a mistake that some people think there's, some folks oh, this is terrible you're encouraging people to hunt without hunt without hunter education well, the mentored hunting the statistics we have is the safest one out there anyway a, a, a mentored hunter uh is is the safest in the field um the last study that we did um but it's important because we through our research found that three years of mentored hunting, your rate of retention is is, is, is through the roof. It's well above like 75%. I mean, it's huge. And as you are aware, you know, we're losing uh, a generation uh, to age and uh, we're losing folks that are, that are joining our sport. So this is a great way to get someone interested in the sport and at least try it. uh, And they can do it right away. Uh, Right now in 2019, we're looking at, let's see here, four, five, six, seven, eight, five, about 12 states where we're looking to tweak the families of field law um, in in those states, whether it's bendered or adult. And again, a, a perfect state for us is a state that allows it for three or more years because that's that sweet spot where, where that retention uh, goes through the roof. Um, another interesting thing that we found, uh, and you said you're near Tallahassee with the firing range, one of the fastest growing demographics um, to join um, hunting or shooting sports is suburban women and girls and so getting back to what we talked about a little bit earlier about maybe getting some new ranges you know in in typically you know non-rural areas you know it's all, all these pieces coming together um you know I, i'm an optimist when i'm this the glass is half full for me i i think we're we're making big gains. Um, but our Families A Field program is 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 a huge success and, and we continue to, to work in each state to to make uh make it happen. Um believe it or not, Hawaii has even introduced a Families A Field bill.
0: That's fantastic. Um, will it will it pass out there?
3: I don't know, but at least
0: at least Bruce, if I need to go out there and, and help mentor some people to hunt access deer, I'm just gonna volunteer right now. Okay. I'm ready.
2: Can I take? Can I pack your bag? Can I be your uh, bag man? I'll just you know tote everything yes. around for you. I will
0: need help. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so <laughs> those
3: are. I mean, so those are. We we do have a lot of good stuff that's going on um, on the proactive side that we do here at the Alliance. You know, a lot of we get we get flip flopped. Obviously, come January first. Um, because we get the deluge of, of all of these pieces of legislation, and but you know there's there's always there's always some bright spots there, and these
0: are two of them.
2: I think it's important yep. to to celebrate those too. Yep.
0: Yeah. One of the uh, one of the really cool things that we did with kind of some families of field stuff actually. Um, started last fall uh, when we teamed up with with mutual friend him uh, over at uh, built for the hunt Jeff Moran and his partner Mike um, just I just wanted to throw that out there for your audience if they haven't had a chance to kind of see the video uh, if they go to hunt fit media that's their YouTube channel they can check out the begin to hunt video um, that featured a friend of theirs Sammy uh, and they took her out using the apprentice license on an elk hunt so she had never hunted before. And this was her first experience going out. Um, you know, they did all the right things with, you know, practicing for the hunt, preparing for the hunt, scouting. Um, and she was able to go out and, and, and do this, right, to try before you buy type of thing. And she's just absolutely hooked. I mean, the video is phenomenal. Um, so I would encourage everybody to go check it out. But that's, a, that's some work that the Sportsman's Alliance did to create, you know, this partnership program through families of field, which, you know, we partner with NSSF and National Wild Turkey Federation to, to push this legislation out there, but that enables these things. Um, and we actually had a a press conference at SHOT Show earlier this year, um, because we're celebrating the fact that we've sold over 2.2 million apprentice licenses since the inception of the program. So hugely successful program. There's obviously still a lot of work that we can do, Um, that's definitely one of those things that yeah we got to celebrate that stuff because it's it's creating new hunters.
2: Dude, do we have an apprentice program in the state of Florida? You do. How have I never heard about this before? I am gonna have to I might have to jump on board with it because that's something that I've been chewing on a, a lot here lately is you know I live in a liberal arts town. Um, it's a fairly liberal town as it is and uh, I get a chance to interact with a whole lot of people who aren't accustomed to the outdoor lifestyle and i've over the years had a great many people um ask me to take them out hunting and fishing and one of the biggest obstacles obviously is you know going and doing the hunter's education and whatnot it's that's going to change yeah
3: now you guys are actually pretty good there in florida um you've got a youth program the adult program is 16 plus Uh, you can hunt all species the distance is immediate contact though so your your mentor you you know, you, some are in earshot. Some are whatever. You guys are uh, have immediate contact. Uh, there's no gun limit. Um, <clears throat> the program length for youth, there's no limit, and the adult, there's no limit. So you guys are, are a state that we consider, um, you know, we consider you guys a a, a good one. Um, there's no minimum age um, for big game or small game either. Uh, and your mentor age requirement in Florida is 21, 21 years of age, um, but you know, we've got states like Alabama where there's just no restrictions at all. We talked to, talk to the commissioner down there. He's like, down here in Alabama, you want to hunt? <laughs> Take your kid out and you hunt. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's good. Uh, one thing I can't remember if I, when I was talking about the New Mexico bills, but I want to clarify to make sure, because I can't remember if I said 355 or 366, but the House bill is 366. That is the trapping ban, and uh, the Coyote bill is Senate Bill 76. So I wanted to clarify for the listeners because I've got so many HBSBs numbers running around in my head right now. I want to make sure that I got the number right, and I just can't remember if I said 355 or 366. But it's 366 and Senate Bill 76, New Mexico. Call them and tell them, vote these things down. These are bad, bad, bad public policy uh,
0: laws and that's why i introduced bruce as uh, bruce is to government affairs as chuck norris is to karate because our offices are across the hallway from one another and and the man is just always on the phone he's always working in and out of meetings and i honestly don't know how he keeps all this stuff straight it's amazing and uh, i just i run over to him with questions all the time like hey what's going on i got a call from so and so and you know, he gives me the, uh, the information on it so I can get right back to, to my constituents out there and, and tell them you know, what's going on about this bill or that bill, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent.
2: That's awesome. So selfishly, uh, Bruce, if you could, uh, the vast majority, well, I won't say the vast majority, but the largest listening group that I have obviously is from the state of Florida. Um, On another podcast, one of the things they were talking about was how this uh, bear bill is coming back up for reevaluation in 2019. You touched on that earlier. Can you give uh, my listeners maybe some insight as to what's going on with that?
3: Absolutely. So there's actually a couple pieces of legislation down in Florida regarding black bears. One, um, they want to prohibit the hunting of black bears mothering a cub 100 pounds or less. Um, the challenge you have, you know, the, your, your, your commission uh, Fish and Wildlife down there says the average weight of a young female is 125 pounds. It is very hard to gauge weight. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a cub is a cub, obviously, but if you have a small female out there or, or, or a small male, uh, you know, you're going to walk up to it and say, excuse me, Mr. Bear, but would you step on this scale here for a minute? Uh, you know, so that one's.
2: We actually just did that, a podcast dedicated just to a story where a guy misjudged the size of a bear, got narrowly close to getting a uh, uh, a fine for that. And I had an enormous amount of people all write in and send me photos saying, yeah, I got really close to getting a ticket here too. And here's my small bear. So it's, that's a much bigger issue than I had ever realized.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, it continues for you and my good friends down in Florida. So there was another bill pre-filed, uh, and this is another tactic that the, that the antis use. So this starts out with prohibits the import, sale, purchase, and distribution of ivory articles, Right, so in uh, rhinoceros horns, right, and it does provide f- for some exceptions and penalties, and it directs the commission to adopt rules to post the information on the website. Yada 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 yada. Here's where here's where it gets interesting. In the last line of the short title of the of the legislation, it says it also provides that it is unlawful to take, possess, injure, shoot, collect, or sell Florida black bears. So they start out. right and they're telling people we're going to ban rhinoceros horns right so you can't have any ivory articles oh oh and oh by the way we're going to tack in here that we're going to make it illegal to um to hunt black bears in florida then regardless of all that then you have another um misguided legislator down in the great state of florida uh, that is trying to get the state black bear as a threatened species under the Endangered and Threatened Species Act, and that is tip that is the go-to uh, play of the Humane Society, and that's what they've done with wolves and grizzlies and and stuff like that. They get them on the endangered species list. Once they're on there, uh, I think Brian Lynn, who's, who's our VP of Communications, he he says it's Hotel California. Uh, you've come in, but you can never leave, right? Um, And so their ultimate goal from the legislative side is is to not only tie things up in court, but if they could get every possible species on that list, um, they'll do it. And and that's what they're fighting for. So you guys are fighting, you know, just three separate uh, individual type black bear bills down in in Florida. Um, You know, and you know as well as I do, All along the East Coast and down, you know, the black bear population up there is just—it's amazing. Um, You know, all the way from Massachusetts all the way on down, and and the black bear populations continue to grow. Uh, They're a healthy species. The habitats are working for them. Uh, We've got to be able to manage them, and and that's the thing that these people don't understand. It's right. It's—they don't understand that you have to properly manage these. In order for that species to thrive and continue to survive for generations to come. So I feel for you down there. I'm fighting for you, brother.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it. i I'm I'm thrilled to have y'all fighting for this these efforts because it's absurd. you know, they had that bear hunt uh, in 2017. Uh, it turned out via the harvest data proved uh, that the estimates that they had for the previous uh, population were woefully. I can tell you from my personal experiences this year with black bear, I saw more black bear this year than I have in my entire life combined. Um, and and it, the, the sign is just everywhere. So the idea that they're anything uh, endangered in this state is, uh, the only thing they're endangered from is, is vehic- uh, vehicular deaths. I mean, that's just, they're everywhere, man. My wife sees them. I had one in my backyard a couple months ago. I mean, they're, they're yeah. everywhere.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting with with verbiage and what they use and, you know, how these groups want to use the endangered species act to their advantage. Um, I took a screenshot a couple of days ago um, of a Sierra club post and, you know, people see the Sierra club and they think, Oh, they do nice work. They're looking for natural places and so on and so forth. Who doesn't like that? Well, it reads this, Yellowstone grizzly, Northern spotted owl, gray wolf, the bald eagle, all could go extinct. <clears throat> endangered species animal. So it's just that of of marketing that they do. I mean, facts be damned. Yeah. <laughs> Let, they 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 use these things as as fundraising mechanisms. And um, I mean, they've got huge budgets, and they're the organizations, frankly, that we go up against every single day when we're arguing for wildlife science. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know,
3: just to tag on to that, Sean, the New Jersey, right? So so you have the executive order where they prohibited bear hunting on state lands. Uh, that's something we're involved in uh, in the courts as well. But uh, known as Petals Law, do you guys remember Petals? Oh, yeah. Two, yeah. Two-legged bear
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and someone. So in their assembly and ag committee down in New Jersey, there's an assembly bill. That will prohibit hunting and establishes non-lethal control programs for bears for five years. And it prohibits certain actions that result in the feeding of bears and requires use of bear-resistant containers, dumpsters, and food boxes in bear habitat. So who's going to pay for that? So you're going to say, you can't harvest black bear anymore, okay? And we don't want you to feed them. So the population is going to increase. So to fix that, we're just going to get make you all use bear-resistant containers, dumpsters, and food boxes, Right. So right now, well, not now anymore because New Jersey has the ban. but your hunters were paying for the management of those bears. Now you make it illegal. There's no money going in there for the management. So they've got to dip into other revenues to start paying for it. And that's the slippery slope that these yahoos go down every time. Who's going to pay for it right now? The majority of your management all across the country It's us and our brothers and sisters that are paying for this. It's license sales permits. Okay. We're the ones that are doing this. And every time you take a little bit of that away, the fees and stuff don't go away to to run your city or whatever. Where are you going to get this extra revenue from? They got to raise taxes or do something else. It's just – people ask me what I do all day long, and Sean and I talk about this too all the time. People say, well, what do you do? I push a boulder up a hill every day, and when I clock out of here, I go home, and I come back the next morning. Guess what's sitting at the bottom of that hill? That damn boulder. It's like Groundhog Day. It's all I do, and I love it, and I'm never going to stop doing it, but, you know, you can't
0: fix stupid, I guess. No, and the management of those bears, you know, and whether it's – whether it's in New Jersey or, or California, I mean, the management is still going to take place, right? I mean, we've seen that with mountain lions in California. You know, they banned mountain lion hunting in the 90s. Well, there's still mountain lions that are getting hunted. They're just being done by the state agency. So, again, the burden falls on the taxpayer at that point in time rather than the licensed hunter the houndsman, who's going out there, who's contributing to the economy, he's contributing to conservation. He's buying licenses, which licenses affect how much Pittman Robertson dollars a state can get back. That's based on the number of licenses that are sold. So you know you can see the slippery slope with all of these things, and and why we just need so many people to be engaged in these issues.
2: Well, look at the irony in that statement. They don't want they don't want to support hunting. So they ban hunting, and then their dollars go towards the killing of animals that's right yep. <laughs> i mean it's 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 absurd, but it feels good right
0: yep. and it's just about emotion it's yep. not about facts
2: well and all you have to do is retweet something right i mean i mean it's that that's what it ultimately boils down to is it's cool it's chic uh the messaging is compelling it's emotional based they can they can retweet it and 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 they're they're gaining followers because of it and <sighs> We gotta, we gotta start to do something. But gentlemen, we are up against the clock. So, uh, in summary, what what one thing would each of you like uh, the listeners of this episode to take away from today? I'll, I'll go
3: first, and then uh, I'll, I'll let Sean go. And, and I hope Sean will um, get into his three reasons why uh, people should join a certain, um, whether it's Sportsman's Alliance or or whatever. He he's got a a, a real good description there and i hope you would get into that what i want to leave with everyone is is that you know we're fighting for you uh right here out a little old columbus ohio in all 50 states at the local national and federal level check out our website sportsmansalliance.org and see all of the stuff we're doing you know we've we've been the leading advocate for hunting fishing and trapping uh for over 40 years nationwide and we're going to continue to do so um and if you ever have questions, concerns, whatever, give us a call or shoot us an email. Uh, you know, sometimes we do miss stuff. We, we try not to, but sometimes uh, something at a local level, we won't pick it up. And if we've got uh, members in, in all the states with their ear to the ground helping us out, by God, that helps out a, a, a tremendous amount as well. So uh, we're fighting for you. We're going to continue to fight for you. And um, we're going to win this. It may take us a long time, but we're going to win.
0: That was good. That was really good. I don't know
2: how... <laughs> good luck following up with that, Sean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we, I mean, we, still so we talked about a lot of different things. Um, we scratched the surface on a lot of different bills. Um, you know, first and foremost, if, if people want more information on those things, you know, our website is, is constantly updated with these things that Bruce and his team are working on. So sportsman's alliance.org is where you can see, you know, what's, what the news is, what we're working on. And, um, The second thing I wanted to touch on was, you know, we talked about organizations like PETA, like uh, Sierra Club, uh, Center for Biological Diversity, Humane Society of the United States. HSUS is probably the biggest group out of those that we kind of go at, um, whether it's in the courts or in the legislature or even at the ballot box. Last year, you know, they kind of outlined what they call their big fights, right? These are their key initiatives. One of their big fights is called banning trophy hunting. Now, you know as well as I do that they just throw that word trophy in there because it's it's a lightning rod, right? People have this preconceived notion of what trophy is. Trophy's the experience. I mean, you, you talk to any hunter out there, it's about the experience. But along with their initiative to ban trophy hunting, they've been circulating a pledge to ban trophy hunting. So we're coming back at them with our own pledge, and that's the pledge to protect hunting. So that's going to be launching this week. Probably by the time this podcast airs, we'll have some stuff hitting social media. Uh, and what we want people to do is to sign that pledge. You know, click on the links in the social media. It'll direct you to our site. Read the pledge. You know, be an embodiment of what that pledge says. Sign it and get engaged in the issues. And kind of the last thing there that you know Bruce mentioned, um, as far as you know, joining groups and such. You know, one of the things that I I I tell people when I'm out talking and, and things of that nature is, you know, you need to belong to at least three different groups, you know, because the the days of just buying our licenses being enough that left us 20 or 30 years ago, we've all got to be involved in different groups. So I encourage people to find a group that protects your method. I don't care whether you hunt with a bow, a shotgun, a rifle, or a slingshot, as long as it's legal and ethical, do it and find a group that is focused on that particular method that you like to use. The second thing is find a group that protects your pursuit, whether you're hunting deer, ducks, turkeys, jackalopes. Mm -hmm. I don't care either. Find a group that is going to protect that. And then lastly, the group that's going to protect your passion, that's the Sportsman's Alliance. That's who we are and what we do. We're protecting everything because we have to win 100% of the issues that we're involved in. If we lose just one, well, that's a victory for the other side, and we just gave up ground. And when you give up ground in these types of things, you don't get it back. It doesn't come back. It takes a lot of effort to try to bring something back. That's why we have to win absolutely everything that we get involved in. And that's why we need every single person who's out there buying hunting licenses, trapping licenses, to be involved with this organization.
2: Well, guys, I am overly thrilled that you two took the time uh, out of two days in a row to talk to me, but more importantly that y'all have come on the podcast a couple of times and, and shared this information um, with my listeners. And, and if y'all would hold on, I'm going to wrap this out, but I want to chat with y'all before, before uh, we get off the phone. But you know, Guys, if if this podcast has ever brought any benefit to you, to your outdoor pursuits, I'd really like to ask y'all as a thank you to go and join the Sportsman's Alliance. Join the group that that is protecting our passion, like Sean said. That's going to help us stay out there. And, you know, on top of that, they, they do good work with a great success ratio. On a previous episode, Sean told us that it was a, a 95% success ratio when they take these things to the, to the court. So you know your money's being used well, unlike with the Humane Society, which has got one of the worst ratings out there. Uh, you know, join the Sportsman's Alliance. Be proud. Share that. Tell a friend about uh, what they're doing. And uh, together, hopefully, we can uh, fend off these foolish attacks and, and preserve our way of life moving forward. And until next time, y'all get outside and go enjoy the great outdoors.